My wounded ego can only take so much. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As we continue our study on the book of Deuteronomy, I want to remind you that we have children's church going on right now. In fact, I believe they've already headed head out the door. Um, if you have anywhere from nursery all the way up to second grade, uh, they can head out for a special time, but they are more than welcome to continue to join us here in the service. We're going to be, Deut- be reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4 and reading through to verse 9. And as you can see by some, please stand by the read- for the reading of the word. And the word of God says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Please be seated. You know, the Bible can seem like a very complicated book. As you, if you think about maybe the first time you really opened up the Bible and you saw that not only were there, were there one book that you were opening up, but suddenly you see that, that this one book is actually two testaments. Well, what, what's that? What's that? Well, then within those two testaments, then there's all of these titles. And you might first assume, well, these are the titles of chapters. You have things like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And then you could go over to the New Testament and you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you see all these things. But then you open up to those pages and to those books, if you will. And you realize that they have chapters and they have verses. And, and already you might feel overwhelmed. In fact, I have more than one occasion been having some sort of Bible study um, in my office with people. A lot of times within the context of like pre-marriage counseling, I'll sit down with couples and we'll get into the Word a little bit. And as we get into the Word, I might have one of them that's, that's never really been around the church and never really had a Bible or anything like that. And I'll pull out a Bible and I'll say, here, you can use this. And it doesn't take long for me to realize that I handed them the wrong Bible. Because not that there's anything wrong with the Bible, but as they open it up, and not only is there the book and chapter and verse, but then there are these study notes and cross-references and little letters and all that stuff, and I can see immediately that I have overwhelmed this poor individual, and they don't even know what they're supposed to be reading. As we look at the book of Deuteronomy itself, it can start to feel a little overwhelming. There is narrative in the Bible. There's poetry. There's proverbs and and wisdom sayings. There's history. There's instruction. There's law. There's religious rituals. And they're all there. And they're all mixed together so that you're reading one thing and then suddenly it's something else. Suddenly it's a song or suddenly it's this. And then you get to the New Testament and, and you read a book and it tells you all about Jesus. And you go, that's a cool book. And then you get to the next book and, hey, it's another story about Jesus. And it's the same, but it's different. And then there are these letters and now you feel like you're reading someone else's mail. 
And I have no doubt that every single person in this room has at some point or will at some point pick up this book that we call the Bible, start reading it, and get overwhelmed or get confused or not really understand what you're reading or why you're reading it. And I believe that because I know that I have that I have opened up the Bible and I've begun to read and and, and tried to study. And and even as I spent time at seminary and I've read things and gone, no idea. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to learn from that. I'm not sure why that's in that. Whoa. And some of us, we go to college for it or seminary for it. And even then we we feel that way sometimes. I'm sure all of us have wished for or even prayed to God that he would just tell us what to do. And that we would beg him and say, Lord, tell me how to live and please just keep it simple. I hope I'm not the only one in this room that has prayed that prayer. And I truly believe that that is exactly what this passage is setting out to do today. In fact, as we get into Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're really beginning to start to dive into the the judgments and the the ordinances and and the things that, that Deuteronomy is going to communicate about how to live in the promised land when Israel comes into the promised land. But before he gets into all of the cases and all of the situations and all of the specifics, he starts with this passage. And and, and this passage, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is called the Shema, which is just a Hebrew word that is the first word of the passage, which is hear. And ultimately, what we have read today becomes the, the summarizing statement for the whole book of Deuteronomy, And I also believe is the summarizing statement for our lives and probably the Bible as a whole. See, the Shema tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And even Jesus says it is through this command that we come closest to God. And that we love the Lord our God most as we come to know him through a relationship with Christ Jesus. So I want to dive into this passage today and I want us to really think about what it means to keep it simple according to scriptures. And Lord willing, I will not complicate things as we go through. This command that we see at the beginning of the Shema, he says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is the Lord is our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might God is telling the nation of Israel that they are to worship him as he has revealed himself to them In fact, we look, jump in this passage, it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And we have to ask the question, who is it that we are supposed to love? What does that mean? And he's already answered the question. He does it from the very beginning. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. 
See, the Lord is our God is actually, we talked about this last week, and that word Lord is actually the name of God, which is Yahweh. And so he is being very specific with them on who he wants them to worship. He doesn't want them to just worship a God. He wants them to worship him. Yahweh, the one true God, the M that I am. He was telling them, listen, you can't just make up who I am. You don't get to decide that. He gives them a specific name and they are not to replace that name. They are not to replace his character or his nature. See, God is God. And he is a personal being who has revealed himself to humanity through the scriptures. And that means we don't get to say, well, I think God is more like a whatever. We don't get to do that. Because he has identified himself to us. He has said, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. This is the name by which Israel would know him, and it was actually a pretty big deal. In fact, after God had revealed his name to Israel and after he had brought them out of the the land of Egypt in Exodus 6, in the midst of all that, it says that God further spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, or by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And so even at that point, God was making it very clear to Israel, like, listen, I want you to know me. Me for who I really am. Me by name. I want to have a much more intimate relationship with you than what anybody else has had before. And that carries over to today. And it is a wonderful and beautiful and amazing thing. He also tells us in the midst of our, our, the beginning of our passage, verse 4, that he is one. The Lord, Yahweh, is our God. Yahweh is one. This speaks to his exclusivity, that it is him alone. Yahweh alone is God, and therefore we worship him alone. He is not a God among many gods of the nation. He is not one that has to compete for our worship. He is God and he is God alone and he alone shall be worshiped. For those of you that know a little bit more about what we believe as Christians, you know that we believe in one God, that we believe and affirm the words from this passage, but we believe in the Trinitarian God. That God eternally exists as one in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this does not conflict. When we say Jesus is God and when we say the Holy Spirit and God is God and when we say God the Father, we are still talking about Yahweh. For He is eternally one in three persons. So the beginning command is to love Yahweh and not just love him in word or something simple, but to love him with all of our heart and, our, and all of our mind and all of our strength. We are to love God with our emotions. We are to love God with our thoughts. And we are to love God with our actions. 
these three words that we see here in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 point to the idea that we are to love God with our entire being. We do not put on a show, but rather love Him from the inside out. You might ask the question, why? Why does Israel, why should Israel love God? And for that matter, why should we love God? And we can go back just one chapter to Deuteronomy 5, something we read last week. And we can look at Deuteronomy 5, verse 6. And he says, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, for Israel, this was a defining moment in their relationship with God. It was through the Exodus event that God had revealed his full power and glory and might to the nation of Israel so that they would follow him all the days of their life. They knew God because they had seen God. And because they had seen God, they were to pass on what they had seen and heard and experienced from generation to generation that the God of Israel was their redeemer. God was their creator, their father, their liberator, and their God. But what about us today? None of us were in slavery and and brought out of the nation of Egypt. I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing the vast majority of the people in this room are not Jewish or have any sort of Jewish heritage. I've not done a 23andMe on anyone in the room. I haven't even done one on myself because I'm a little scared to find out where I came from. And while it is true that that God may not have redeemed us from Egypt, God most certainly is our Redeemer. I want to read for you from Titus chapter 2, and and starting in verse 13, the, the Apostle Paul says these things. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing them to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So why do we love God? Well, first off, I would say that, that, that those of us who are in Christ, who have given our lives to Christ, who have made that profession of faith, we have a lot of reason to love God because He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. And what He did was He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, whom the passage mentions, and He came. And he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave three days later to redeem us. And that word redeem means to buy us back. Because make no mistake, every single person in this room at one point or another was enslaved to sin. And you may still be. But Jesus came. And he was never enslaved to sin because he never sinned. 
but he took the penalty. He paid the price so that we could be bought out of that enslavement to sin and set free as children of God. We are adopted into God's family when we surrender our lives to him. And I don't know about you, but that sure seems like reason enough for me to love him. And if you are with us today and then you have never given your life to Jesus and you've never received that, that redemption that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would challenge you, I would invite you, I would encourage you today to receive this gift, to become a follower of Jesus and to be set free through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Why do we love God? Well, 1 John 4.10 says it well. It says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love God because he loved us first. And he showed us that love, he showed us that love through the work and the person of Christ Jesus. This leads to another question. How do we love God? And it's really interesting because we get the command in the Shema. We say, we shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And, and, and he gives this. And then he begins to talk about, and then you're going to teach your kids about this love or how to love. And he starts giving all of these scenarios. And they're all kind of partnered up. It's kind of three sets of two, really what it is. You'll notice the first set of all of those is, is you're going to talk about him, you're going to teach, teach him in your house and on the road. Well, I don't know about you, but that's, that statement is basically like saying, I, I want you to teach your kids to love me either when you're home or when you're not home. Kind of covers all the bases, doesn't it? And so we say, we say, you know, first off and foremost, love the Lord your God all the time, all places. Love God, communicate our love everywhere we go. God is not looking for, for a love and faith that only exists in one place at one time. And we know what we're what is talking about here. It is very easy in our day and age, and it's very easy in our life to turn on the Christian switch when we walk into the church building or walk into our home group Bible study or just walk into the places that we expect people to think of us as being churchy folk. But then we go to school or we go to our job or we go to our sports team or around our family and we just turn that switch off. And we act just like everybody else. But God is calling us, even as we teach other people about our faith, that our faith is something that we do in the home. Which if we're honest, there's probably a lot of us that do turn, on that, turn off that switch when we get home. You know, we fight and we bicker and we carry on the entire time getting ready for church service. And then we get to church service and we walk in the door and we go, well, hello, Sister Jean, how are you doing today? I'm blessed beyond measure. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And even I have had to pull up into this parking lot before with my kids. And if there's, there's five, actually there are four people because Joseph wasn't around yet. There are four people in, the, in a minivan and all four of those people hated each other's guts. 
And it was so tempting for us to just hop out of the car and walk into the church building like everything we had said to each other before we walked in here had never happened. And that is not what he's talking about here. And so we had to take a moment. But God wants us to love him everywhere. And he has called us to practice our faith publicly and privately so that everyone who knows us knows that we are walking with the Lord. Now, does that mean ram it down their throats? Absolutely not. But they should know you're different. And at the very least, they should know he loves the Lord. She loves Jesus. Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 5.20 to be ambassadors for Christ. And to be an ambassador means that you represent the person who sent you everywhere you go. And I think that's what the Shema is calling us to as well. Not only are we supposed to worship God, love God with all of our heart when we're on the road or we're in our home, but we're also called to love Him when we lie down and when we rise up. These little couplet represents time. From the beginning of your day when you rise up to the very end when you lie your head on the pillow, you are to love God and communicate His love to others. It should not matter if you are a morning person, a night owl, or a perpetually exhausted pigeon. You are to love the Lord. You cannot wait until you have had your coffee to be loving towards others. You cannot choose not to love the Lord because it's past your bedtime. We should always strive to put our love for God first and make sure others can see that love for God as well. See, our love for God cannot be conditional upon our convenience. But at all times and at all circumstances, we should praise the Lord. Going on, it calls us to love Him with our body as well as our things. Moses instructed them to bind this commandment as a sign on their wrist and on the front of their forehead, as well as to put markings on the, the, the frame of their home and everywhere that they might say it. Now, all of this is really just a, a, a reference back to what we read in verse 6 that says, These words which I am communicating to you today shall be on your heart. I'm not really convinced, I was reading in one of my, my commentaries about this passage, I'm not really convinced that when God said this, that he literally meant put stuff on your forehead, put stuff on your wrist, put stuff on your doorframe. I'm not sure that's really what he meant. I think he was saying it should be like this, it should be as this. Now, does that mean you can? Absolutely. But we can even see how the Pharisees turned all of this into jewelry and decoration. And the bigger your, your phylacteries were and the bigger your, your, your little things to, to remind you of the Scriptures became, the more holy people would think that they were. But I think the essence of this passage was this, that you shall put these commands on your heart, that you should take the statement to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your might, that you should take that and that you should write that on your heart so that everything you do, everything about you, your characteristics, everything you own is being lifted up to the Lord 
as a perpetual sacrifice for his kingdom and for his namesake. We should hold nothing back from the Lord our God. Our love for him should cause us to come to him with ourselves and our possessions, our career, our family, everything ready to give all up for him and for his glory. And I'll be honest with you, that's hard. It's easy for me. I'm just talking to me for a second. It is easy for me to say, God, you can have all my possessions. Just don't make me sell my house. <gasps> Lord, you can have all of me. Just don't make me mess. Just don't, don't make my kids angry at me. See, I always want to put like a little, like a little like caveat on there. God, you can have all of me. Just don't make my kids switch schools. Because that's a hassle. And we say those things, but we always want to hold something back. And I think this passage is really reminding us, listen, we can't hold anything back. But the command is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your might. And that might actually mean we have to say, Father, these are my children. Do with them what you want to do with them. I remember Philip and I got to go to a, a missionary training or the International Mission Board years ago. And one of the men that spoke, he had been the, the missionary coordinator for our country in the Middle East. And his job was to take the IMB missionaries that had gone through the training that were being called into the Middle East and to send them there. And he knew how to send them there and how to communicate with them in, in code and in secrecy and, and giving them reasons to be in the country that, that, that might not perk the interest of, of the government. I'm probably saying way more than I should even on the video now. And he did that for years, and that included having to extract people when things were getting bad. And he did it for years and years and years. And then one day, his daughter came to him and she said, Dad, I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary in the Middle East. And he went to the Lord and he said, No, God, not my daughter. I know, he knew better than any of us in this room, I know how dangerous it is there. I know how hard it is for women there. Lord, please, not my daughter. And when he went to talk to his daughter and his daughter said, Dad, you have sent dozens of men and women into these countries your whole life. How can we withhold me from that same call? And he knew she was right. And he had to hold up his only daughter and send her into the mission field. Now she's, as far as I'm aware, she's still alive and she's still serving the Lord somewhere. But that's hard, isn't it? And God may never ask you to do that or anything even like that. But would you hold that up to God with your hand open and say, Lord, if it's your will, you can have them. This is what it means to say that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus.
There's one more thing I want to point out from this passage, and it's actually in the verses that, that follow what we read. Picking up in verse 10, it says this. It says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. See, this one last thing I I want us to remember in this command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our mind and our might is that God warns them not to forget Him when they have everything He promised them. We have to keep loving and trusting God even when things are going perfectly. When we have our heart's desires, when we are living in in comfort, when He has provided everything we could possibly ask for, we must watch ourselves that we do not become too content and forget to love the Lord. Not only do I think this passage speaks to when things are going great, but also when things take a turn for the worse. See, in the same breath is, is when we, we have too much and we find ourselves, and it says that we eat and drink are satisfied and we forget the Lord, so too, so too when we look at our human nature, do we tend to forget the Lord when things go horribly wrong? And we lose things, people, jobs. And things that maybe we thought were promised to us don't actually turn out the way we want. It is easy for us in anger or in satisfaction to forget who God is. And to trust Him and to follow Him with all of our being. I'm reminded of what we can find in the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 30 verse 7 we read these things. The writer says, two things I ask of you, and do not refuse me before I die. He's speaking to the Lord. He says, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I may not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I be in want and steal and profane the name of God. See, one thing we have to remember in this command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our mind and our strength is that that means regardless of our situation. When things are tough, let us praise the Lord. When things are great, let us praise the Lord. In all that we are, in all that we do, let us praise the Lord. You know, there was really one time in the New Testament where Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees agreed on something. And it was about this verse. And a scribe came up to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus kind of went to him and said, you know, how do you read it? 
And he said that we should love the Lord your God with all our heart and with all our strength. And the guy ended up, the scribe ended up reciting back to him, yes, you've done good for the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And he told that scribe, he says, you have come close to the kingdom of God. My call for you today is the Bible can feel very complicated. And you can open it up and you can see laws and commands and stories and proverbs and you can start to get overwhelmed and not know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. I want to challenge you to do this. Love the Lord your God. Love him with all of your being. Love him every part of the day. Love him with all of your stuff. And love him everywhere you go. And if you do that, then he'll, he'll draw you into himself. He'll show you the rest of the thing. And let me, let me tell you what the first step is to loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and it is this. Believe in Jesus. Jesus himself said, you, to know him is to know the Father. And to love him is to love the Father. If you want to know God and you want to love God, look to Jesus. For he is the one that has made a way so that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is God the Son who put on flesh. And he lived the life we couldn't live so that he could die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. So that we could love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might. I want to challenge you today. Love the Lord. And let it start with a relationship with Christ Jesus. Let us pray. My God, my exceeding joy, Lord, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you so much that, that you have not made things complicated for us. But God, you have just called us into a loving relationship with you. And you'll work the things out. You will, you will grow us and you will show us what it means to love you as we go through the course of our lives. And, and God, I praise you for that. Not that we don't need the word, not that we don't need to study the word, but God, you will bring us closer to you. God, I praise you because I know that that begins through a relationship with Jesus Christ that our sin had created a separation between you and us and the only way to, to be able to even love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might was through what Christ did on the cross. And Lord, you loved us so much that you redeemed us through Christ, through his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that, that is ready to answer the call to love God, Lord, that he, would, that he or she would do that through a relationship with Jesus. Because, God, we know there's no other way. That we can't follow the law, that we can't do everything that, that that book tells us to do. And so, God, I pray that they will look to Christ, that they will see him as the author and the perfecter of our faith, and that they will cry out to him in saving faith. Lord, we praise you for these things. And God, we love you because of it. And we ask all this in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.